0: Yeah, I I am really excited to be here because yesterday we didn't think we were going to make it uh, because we got stuck in a blizzard driving up the 17 and uh, I'm from Phoenix so I don't know how to drive in the snow and no one else knew how to drive in the snow on the 17 either because a bunch of cars were sliding off the freeway and hitting each other and it was crazy. Uh, but we made it just in time, right before they shut down the freeway. So I'm, I'm really excited to be with you guys. Um, up here with my wife, and uh, we've got three boys as well. So um, we're going to be continuing our series in the Gospel of John. You heard the scripture read this morning, so John chapter 8. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree because children resemble their parents. Whether you like it or not, kids resemble their parents in two ways, appearance and behavior. See, it's every teenager's nightmare, right? Like when you're a teenager, like, man, I'm hoping I don't resemble my parents in some way, right? It's every teenager's nightmare, but the older you get, then you're like, ah, shoot, I'm just like my parents, right? And the older you get, the more you realize I'm literally just like my parents. So think about my, my dad and I, I look just like my dad. My dad and I are literally the exact same height. We have the same body frame. Even though he's in his uh, mid-60s, we weigh the same. So we, we look very, very similar. And I remember when I was a teenager, there was something I inherited from my dad that every time I looked at myself, I hated it. I hated the fact that I resembled my dad with this one thing. He had terrible skin, acne, right? It's it's every teenager's worst nightmare because it made you very, very self-conscious. My dad had terrible acne growing up and then I inherited his acne from him and I I loathed it. I was like, man, I hate that I resemble my dad in this. Why can't I resemble my mom? I got his horrible skin. I just remember the fact of like every time I looked in the mirror, I knew that I resembled my dad and I knew it. But then there's also things about your you that you don't realize you resemble from one of your parents. I remember just a couple of years ago, my wife and I, we went on vacation with my parents to the beach. And my dad and I are walking side by side. And my wife and my mom are behind us. And my wife goes, oh my gosh, they walk exactly the same I literally didn't know this until a couple years ago, that my dad and I walk exactly the same, but it took my wife seeing it, saying, you resemble your dad in this so much, and I didn't even realize it. We all resemble our parents. And as we come to our passage in John 8 this morning, Jesus is talking to people who believe in him. And what he does is he challenges who they say their father is because of what they resemble. And Jesus tells him, who they resemble reveals who their true father is. And so the title for the sermon today is, Who's Your Daddy? So let's pray before we dive in here, okay? Jesus, we thank you that we have the opportunity to gather as your people. Spirit of God, we we welcome you here, and we need you here. We've gathered because we want to hear from you. And so, Holy Spirit, would you stand in my body, that my words would be your words, that you would remove distractions from us, that we could encounter you this morning, Jesus, in transformative and powerful ways. And so we ask that you would speak by the power of your Spirit and through your word this morning. Amen. So we're picking up in verse 39 of John chapter 8. This is continuing a conversation throughout John chapter 8, and so we pick up in verse 39. They answered him, those who believe in him, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. First thing we see this morning in the passage is shiny pedigree, but hypocrisy. Because the people say they're Abraham's children, but they're actually antagonistic towards Jesus. See, nine verses earlier in verse 30, these people believed in Jesus. It says that many believed, and so he's having a conversation with people on the inside. Jesus is doing evangelism to those on the inside. People who say they believe in Jesus. But here's the problem. Their lives don't match the very message that they claim. And so Jesus confronts their external signs of their shiny pedigree from Abraham with their internal antagonism towards him. He says, hey, you guys think you've got this shiny pedigree because you're Abraham's descendants, but you don't resemble him at all. You don't resemble Abraham if he's your father There's hypocrisy here. You're hypocrites. See, they think that they are in the family of Abraham and they're all good. But Jesus tells them that they're trusting in the wrong thing. See, there's a warning to us because we are people on the inside. We're here gathered as God's people this morning because we claim to follow Jesus and believe in him. And there's a warning to us. I don't know any of us who are here this morning, though, claiming shiny pedigree from Abraham. We're not coming in here, hey, we're Abraham's descendants, we're all good, right? But we trust in other pedigree. We trust in other things we do, in activities. And we think we're good because of them. Think about the the church activities. We're here on a Sunday, and so we check a box. Or maybe, you know what, we, we tithe to the church, and we give some money to God, and so we check a box maybe you volunteer here at redemption flagstaff maybe you're even in an rc and you're like hey i'm supposed to be in community with people and so you check a box or maybe you see the injustice here in the city of flagstaff and you know that jesus cares about the marginalized and the vulnerable and you say man there's this injustice there's these things in my city and jesus calls me to wash the feet of the city and i'm serving here in the city and so you check a box but maybe it's not the, the Christian activity, but maybe it's more cultural righteousness. Maybe you say, "Hey, I, I'm I'm supporting that nonprofit. I'm giving money to a humanitarian effort." You know what? I care about the environment, or man, I care about the unborn. I care about the I care about family, and so you check a box and you say, "Man." I'm all good because I'm doing these things and you can actually trust in pedigree. But Jesus says, do not trust in the stuff you do. There is no activity that makes you good with God because Jesus is the only one who makes us good with God. Let us, church, as believers who follow Jesus, let us never put our trust in pedigree, but only in a person whose name is Jesus. But the problem with these Jewish believers here is they are trusting in a person. They're trusting in Abraham. And so here Jesus says, hey, guess what? Abraham's not your dad. This is a Jerry Springer moment. If you remember Jerry Springer or, or Maury Povich, the Mori Povich show, right? Jesus is saying, hey, you think he's your dad? He ain't your dad. And they're like, wait, what do you mean? Are, are you saying we're not in the family, Jesus. Are you saying that Abraham is not our spiritual father? And Jesus says, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying because you've got it all wrong. Jesus redefines pedigree. They think because Abraham is their father and they're his descendants, that they're all good, right? But Jesus says, you cannot be Abraham's kids because you do not believe You do not believe me, and you do not trust the father. See, it is not biology that makes you Abraham's children, but it's belief. It's not biology, but it's belief. This is how you resemble Abraham, if he's your father, is you believe, because this is the very thing that Abraham did. He believed God. He believed in the promise that God made to him, even when common sense said otherwise. And because he believed God, he acted then in faith. Jesus says you resemble Abraham by believing God's promise. Not just the promise, but the ultimate promise, because the ultimate promise that God made to Abraham is that one day his seed would bring blessing to the nations, would bring bring blessing to the entire world. And what they get wrong is, They think they are the seed of Abraham because they're his descendants, but they are not the promised seed. Jesus is the promised seed, and yet he stands in front of them, and they don't believe. They don't believe the ultimate promise. And so it's not just that they are trusting in the wrong person, in Abraham, but they're actually hostile towards Jesus. In verse 40 here, Jesus says, But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. They're hostile towards Jesus, and so Jesus says, You can't claim Abraham's pedigree if you want me dead. Once again, we are the insiders. And for the church today, a lot of times when we think about hostility towards Jesus or hostility towards Christianity, we're not thinking about the inside. We're thinking about outside of the church, right? We're thinking about society, that we live in a post-Christian society that is growing increasingly hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we think outside the church. But there are ways that we, inside, can be hostile to Jesus. There are ways that we even are hostile towards Jesus. I wonder, what are the areas of your life that you don't want Jesus to touch. The areas of your life that are off limits to Jesus. Because oftentimes we say, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to surrender the entirety of my life to you, but don't touch this. Don't touch my sexuality. Don't touch my finances. Don't touch my work agenda and how I'm going to climb the ladder at work. And you better not touch my political views, Jesus. You can have all of me, but not really all of me. Do you want Jesus to confront idolatry in your life? Or do you resist his confrontation? Because if you're resisting Jesus confronting idolatry in your life, you are hostile towards Jesus. If you're saying, Jesus, I'm all in, but not all of me, that's actually a way that we can be hostile to Jesus. So Jesus tells them, you don't resemble Abraham. You must have another father, because if he was really your father, you would believe in me. And so let's see what they say here, picking up in verse 41. They respond and they say to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. The second thing we see in the passage this morning is one father, but not God. Jesus says, you are not children of God the father because you do not love me. See, they respond to Jesus because Jesus just shut them down about Abraham being their dad. And so they say, okay, if Abraham's not our father, well, guess what? We, we have one father, and they say, even God. God is our father. Well, what, what are they talking about? Well, they're referring back to the Old Testament because Israel was God's chosen people. And so specifically, they're referring back to Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 to 23, where God tells Moses specifically that Israel is his firstborn son. And so they say, this is our identity as God's people. We are his firstborn son. And so they say, we're appealing to scripture. God is our father because we're Israel. And so they say, hey, Jesus, we weren't born of sexual immorality. Well, they're making a dig at Jesus because Jesus just told them that they're spiritually fatherless. And they say, hey, Jesus, you know how you just said that we're spiritually fatherless? Well, we know that you are actually fatherless. We know that you didn't have a biological dad. We know that Joseph wasn't your biological dad. And so they make a dig at Jesus to try to say, who are you, Jesus, to tell us who our father is? But Jesus says, I'll tell you who I am. In verse 42, he says, this is why I can talk to you about who your father is, because if God were your father, you would love me, but you don't love me. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. And Jesus said, I came from God. I am here. I'm in front of you. And as I stand here in front of you, you respond in apathy. You're apathetic towards me. You don't love me because you're apathetic. You cannot love God and be indifferent towards Jesus. It's impossible. You cannot love God and be indifferent towards Jesus But here's the problem with indifference, it's contagious. It's like a pandemic, right? It spreads and it spreads rapidly and masks don't actually contain it. Indifference is contagious because when you see other people acting in indifference, you do the same thing. It's actually something called the psychology of indifference. There's been a lot of studies done on this. One of these studies actually shows that the very worst time that you can have a flat tire on the freeway is, anybody know? Yes, during rush hour traffic, the worst time to have a flat tire. Well, why? Because everyone acts in indifference. They see the person in need on the side of the road, but everybody thinks, oh, someone else is going to do it, so I can just act in indifference when really nobody ends up doing it. This is the scariest thing. The scariest thing about Christianity is that it can be learned. You can learn Christianity. What do I mean by that? You can show up here on a Sunday. You can go through the motions and appear to be a Christian. You can learn how to do Christian things, even speak in Christian lingo. The weird things that we all say that no one else outside of the church ever says, right? Like, hey, great to see you, brother. It's like... Nobody says that in society, right? There's these Christianese things that we say. You can go through the motions and learn Christianity and actually never live life connected to Jesus. You can actually never know Jesus even though you go through the motions. About a week ago, I was meeting with a pastor, an older gentleman. He's in in his late 60s who's been in pastoral ministry for a long time and he he knew that I was going to be preaching on this passage and he knows that it is Jesus' words to those on the inside. And as I sat across the table from this man, he had tears rolling down his face, filling his eyes because he told me that he went to seminary when he was younger, started pastoring a church and for 10 years, the first decade of pastoral ministry, he went through the motions. He went through the motions and he actually said that he was never even a Christian and he was a pastor for 10 years. And then he had an encounter with Jesus and now he's in a much different spot, but now he's in his late 60s and looking back, he said, this passage is Jesus warning to us, trying to get those on the inside to wake up because you can learn the motions, you can go through the routine and appear. You can give the veneer of being a Christian. Redemption. Brothers and sisters, as a community of believers, let us never become indifferent towards Jesus. Jesus wants you to know the Father intimately so that you can live as a child and resemble him. Jesus says, hey, apathy is not your only problem. In verse 43, he says, Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Cannot bear. The word there in the Greek is the same word for don't have the power to. Jesus is telling them, hey, you cannot hear me because you do not have the power to hear me because you do not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. What an indictment to those on the inside. I think of my one of my favorite movies of all time, a movie called Interstellar. How many of you guys have seen Interstellar? All right, a lot of people. Good. Interstellar, if you haven't seen it, came out in 2014. It's a Christopher Nolan film, which means that it's going to be somewhat confusing. So if you haven't seen it, uh, maybe read the synopsis so you know what you're going into. But uh, it takes place in the future, in the year 2067. And what's going on is Earth is decaying from famine. And the only hope for the future for humanity, that there could be some sort of salvation picture, right? The future hope of humanity would depend on a few astronauts leaving Earth to go far out into the solar system. One of these astronauts is Matthew McConaughey. He's the lead character named Cooper. And Matthew McConaughey leaves his son and his daughter who are young in order to go on this rescue mission to the solar system ...for the hope for the future world. So he leaves his son and daughter. His daughter's name is Murph. And he loves his kids, but especially he's got this love for his daughter in the movie. And so it breaks his heart that he has to do this. But it's the only hope for the world. And so he tries to communicate with the daughter that he loves from out in space. And he does it through the movie with Morse code. He's trying to talk to her on on the watch, trying to communicate, but she cannot hear him. And as the movie comes towards the end of the movie... Towards the end, you see Matthew McConaughey is doing everything, desperately trying to communicate and talk to the daughter that he loves. But the thing is, his daughter cannot bear to hear him. She does not have the power to hear him because they are in entirely different realms. He is far out in the solar system. She is on earth and she cannot hear the father who loves her. This is what Jesus is saying. He tells them, you cannot hear me because you need to be born from another realm. You cannot hear me because you need to be born from another realm, born from above, born from God by the power of his spirit. Belief, if you want to truly be a child of Abraham and a son of the father, belief is what is required. You need to believe, and the only way you can believe is if you are born from above. Then you can hear my words but it's not just that they can't believe. We see in this conversation, they don't want to believe either. Jesus says, why do you not understand what I say here? In verse 43, he's not saying that they're stupid. He's not saying that's why you can't hear, understand what I'm saying. He's saying they're spiritually deaf. They're spiritually deaf and they're living in another realm. They can't hear Jesus because they have attuned their ears to their own desires. They've attuned their ears to the things that they want, and now they've done this for so long that they're actually unable to hear God. This can happen to us too. You can attune your ears to your own desires. You can attune your ears to the things that you want, and they could be good desires even could be desires for your work, desires for your family, desires for this church that you're a part of. They could be good desires, but they could also be good desires that aren't actually Jesus's desires. So my question for you this morning is where in your life are you listening to your own desires instead of Jesus's desires? Jesus tells these people, you cannot identify with Abraham. You cannot identify with God the Father because you actually bear another identity. Let's see what he says in verse 44. What is this identity? Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar, and he's the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God, The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Jesus says, I'll tell you who your father is. The last thing we see in this passage this morning is that Jesus says they're the spawn of Satan. Jesus says, you resemble your true father, who is the devil. These four verses I just read to you are the four verses harshest verses in the entire Gospel of John. Bible scholars, commentators all agree this is the harshest thing for us to hear and digest in the entire Gospel of John, and yet these are the words of Jesus. There is something crucial that we understand. Like, if we don't understand this, we miss the entire meaning of this passage, and so it's vital. We will miss the entire meaning of this passage if we fail to recognize that the Jewish people who say they believe in Jesus here, that Jesus is addressing, that these people represent us. That this is not Jesus just talking to Jewish people, that these people represent us, and that this passage is for us. These are Jesus' words addressing you and I this morning. And here's why this is crucial for us to understand. Because it's really easy for the church to deflect the hard sayings of Scripture onto someone else as the bad guy. Because we don't want to face it. And sadly, tragically, there have been times throughout our history that the church has done this exact thing with this passage. They've deflected. That throughout the history of our world, this is the passage that has been used to support and promote anti-Semitism even more sobering and harder to to digest, but the reality is it was this exact passage that I just read to you that was used in Germany by the Nazis to exterminate the Jews because they said even Jesus calls Jews the sons of Satan, the spawn of Satan. And so the Nazis then use this verse out of Scripture, the words of Jesus, to say this is gives us more fuel to exterminate the Jewish people. Jesus' words here are very harsh. They're hard to hear. They're even harder to digest. They're challenging for us. What's even more challenging is he's addressing us. And so why is he using such harsh language? the spawn of Satan. Your father is the devil. The reason why Jesus uses this harsh language is because he takes sin very seriously. He takes sin very serious and he has to use harsh language when he's addressing insiders because sometimes it's the insiders that actually need to be shaken a little bit to be awoken. And So Jesus says you do the works of Satan. Why? Not because they just tripped and all of a sudden mistakenly are doing the works of Satan, but he says, it's your will. You do the works of Satan because you want to do what Satan desires. See, apart from the renewing power of the Holy Spirit, every single one of us are volunteers for the kingdom of darkness. Every single one of us say, sign us up. Because naturally, apart from the spirit at work in our lives, naturally we all love the darkness more than the light. Jesus' words show us something about sin. They show us that sin is not just a mistake. Sin is not just making a bad decision, but sin is the desire to do the will of Satan. Satan. Sin is the desire to do the will of the enemy. When we sin, we participate in what he wants. This is a sobering reality. It's a sobering reality for us. And so Jesus says that their father is Satan because they resemble him. They resemble him in two different ways. There's two character traits that Jesus says here, that Satan's a murderer and he's also a liar says that Satan is a murderer from the beginning. What, what is Jesus talking about? He's referring back to Genesis 3, to the great rebellion back in the Garden of Eden when sin entered the world because what happened was Satan came to Adam and Eve and he tempted them. He said, did God really say? And without temptation, there's no sin. And without sin, there's no death. And so Jesus says Satan is the murderer from the beginning because he is the murderer of trust in God's word. Did God really say? Not only is he the murderer of trust in God's word, he's the murderer of intimacy with God, that sin separates us from God. Because sin entered the world through the temptation in the garden Death came into the world through sin, and so now Satan is the murderer of humanity itself because death reigns because sin is present. Jesus says, here's why you resemble him. Verse 40, now you seek to kill me. These people are seeking to kill Jesus. They want him dead, and so they resemble the murderer. They resemble Satan. But Satan's also a liar, he exercises his power with lies. This is how he exercises his power of darkness in the world is through lies. Lies are the work of Satan. He perverts the truth. He distorts it. He deceives. And Jesus gives him the name the father of lies. This is who Satan is. But what makes words powerful is that they're connected to who you are. They're connected to your character. And this is what verse 44 says. It says that when he lies, he speaks out of his own character. His lies are tied to who he is. The NIV translates it. I even like the NIV translation more for this verse because it says when he lies, he speaks his native language. Lies are his native language. But in contrast, truth is the reality of God. Truth is who Jesus is, and yet it's the very thing that Satan hates and stands in opposition to. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, but you do not believe me, in verse 46. The deadliest lie for any of us, the deadliest lie is the denial of Jesus because it cuts you off from the very source of life. The denial of Jesus cuts you off from the river of living water, cuts you off from the vine in which we are the branches to grow out of, the life source. If you deny Jesus, it is the deadliest lie. Jesus wants us to see this morning that who our Father is determines how we live and how we listen. But this is the thing. Satan wants you to believe lies. Satan does not want you to listen to God. He wants you to believe lies and to be trapped in the power of lies. He wants you to be trapped like almost in a web of lies, right? Where you can't get out of it because the lies go so deep. You feel like you're so far in the darkness that you've gone so far in the cave that no light shines in. But Jesus wants you to listen today. But here's the thing, when we talk about lies and believing lies, I don't know anyone who says, hey, I'm believing a lie. I don't know a single person who thinks they're believing a lie. That's the funny thing, right? For example, 80% of people think they're above average. If you know anything about mathematics, that is mathematically impossible, right? 80% of people think they're above average, and yet... What that means is there's a lot of people walking around who are believing a lie, and they don't know it. But here's the thing. The fascinating thing is the way that you see a lie is by having someone else show it to you. That's what Jesus is doing in this passage, and that's what Jesus wants to do this morning. And so my question for you all this morning is, what lies are you believing? What lies are you believing this morning that you've come here this morning and they're in your head? Maybe it's a part of your story. There's things that you're believing about yourself or about God or about others, and it's a lie. And you may not know because you need someone else to show you. And see, as I was praying to prepare this sermon to come up, to a different congregation to preach. I was praying and asking the Holy Spirit specifically, what are the lies for those on the inside? And as I was praying, I felt like the Spirit really impressed on me that there's two lies that Satan wants you all to believe for the purpose of avoiding encountering Jesus. That there's two lies that he wants you to believe this morning or even that you've already been believing in order to avoid Jesus altogether. That I'm too good, that I'm too bad. The first lie some of you are sitting here this morning thinking, I don't need to hear this sermon because I'm all good. That is a lie from Satan who's trying to get you to avoid encountering Jesus this morning. Others are sitting here this morning believing the second lie that I don't belong here. And maybe that's because it's something in your story that you think, I can't be a child of God the Father because I'm too bad. Maybe it's something that's been done to you years ago that you've been living with the pain of. It's kind of like a limp that you've been walking with. Or maybe it's something that you've done and you feel like you're too dirty that that God could never accept you. That is a lie from Satan. Satan who's trying to get you to avoid encountering Jesus this morning. Jesus is inviting you to listen to him and listen to the truth today, to be freed from the power of those lies that you would encounter him and experience life. And Jesus closes this conversation in verse 47, and he says, You don't hear Because you're not of God. Are we of God? Because Jesus wants us to ask this question honestly in this passage. Who do you resemble? Jesus is inviting you to look in the mirror. Not even a physical mirror, but this passage is the mirror. To look and reflect and say, who do I resemble here? Do you resemble hypocrisy? Do you resemble hostility? Do you resemble apathy? Do you resemble lies? Or do you resemble God the Father? I want you to think for a moment on that. Who do you resemble? Regardless, when you look in the mirror, regardless of who you resemble, there's good news for you today. Even hearing the harsh words of Jesus, a passage that is very hard to digest because of his harsh language, there's good news for you today. And there's good news for you today because of Jesus. That it's because of Jesus that you can be born from above from a different realm, that it is because of Jesus that you can experience new life and new birth. And it's because of Jesus that you can experience what it means to be in the family of God and have a new family and have a new father that you can resemble. Jesus frees you from the other father, the father of lies, frees you from the power of sin, frees you from the power of darkness, and it is Jesus who enables you to walk in the newness of life because of his Holy Spirit. Jesus enables us to resemble the Father in heaven because he is the Son of God who listens to his Father and invites you to listen to him today. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are the God who speaks, that you're speaking here today. Lord, and we know that there is an enemy, the father of lies, who is speaking a different narrative to us. And yet, Jesus, you have the last word because of the gospel. And so, Lord, I pray for those who are, who are believing a lie this morning, Lord, that you would free them that they would experience the freedom that you bring. Jesus, we thank you that you enable us to have a new birth and a new family and a new father that we can resemble. Because Jesus, you say that you can tell who your father is based on who you resemble, and Jesus, we are here and we want to resemble you. As you address those on the inside, Lord, we listen to your warnings, but yet Lord, You don't just give warnings, you give promises, Lord, that you will never leave us or forsake us, and Jesus, we need you, we need your spirit to empower us to follow you faithfully, that we could resemble you in every area of our lives. And so, Lord, would you stir in us this morning a desire to sing loudly, to worship you for who you are, what you do, what you are continuing to do in the world. It's in your name, amen.